Welcome to episode 48 of The Route, presented by Jobs in Sport. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat that has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Christopher Nascimento, and let's get started. On today's episode, we have a guest who's going to be leaving you wanting more. Wait, what? I want, I want more laughs. I want more insight. I want more advice. I want to know more about Amir. So do I. It's an amazing episode and really an amazing route as well. Just how he came to where he is now, as well as what he's doing and, uh, you know, who he's working with and the different types of things they're, they're doing with their software. So an amazing, an amazing, amazing, amazing episode. Let me say it again. Amazing um, episode for you guys today. And as always, don't forget to follow us at The Route Sports on social media before we get into today's guest. And on these social media accounts, that's where you'll be able to find all different types of clips, quotes, different things like that. And, you know, maybe even connect with uh, with the guest as well. And the last thing that I'll remind you guys before we get into today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're streaming on, just because it, uh, it allows others to, to find us a little more easily. With that, let's get into today's episode because it's uh, it's one you're going to want to hear. I'd now like to welcome a trailblazer in the digital technology space, president and co-founder of Zoomf, Amir Zanozi. Welcome to The Route. How's it going? Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. It's going well. Uh, how about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Weather's a little crazy here, but uh, let's say I'm living in a winter wonderland right now. But uh, yeah. Um, and then to kind of begin the podcast, uh, one thing I like to ask every guest right off the bat is, could you take us through your route? So where you went to school and how you ended up where you are now? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll try to make it as painless as possible for the listeners. But, uh, you know, my my path here is, uh, you know, it's always the path of resistance is also the, always the most rewarding. And uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, we, we were talking about our backgrounds earlier, Ronnie, and my parents always wanted to be in, me in medicine. That just wasn't it for me. But I was always fascinated with psychology. And, um, you know, at one point, uh, and I'm dating myself uh, as an old man, but AIM, uh, I don't know, the instant messenger buddy list from AOL, mm-hmm. just the way status is on there, that just captivated me, just understanding how to engage with people. And the reason why I'm explaining that is, uh, you know, going through school, you know, undergrad, I, I went to George Mason University out here in Fairfax, Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech for one year. If, if you're familiar with the area, it's out in Blacksburg. It's it's out in the farms and the mountains. Just wasn't my vibe back then at that age. I was more of a city guy, the clubs and all that. And uh, so I, I transferred to Mason, did my thing, uh, psychology, bounced around, you know, worked at a law office, worked, you know, did, did all these you know, I was going to be a lawyer. No, nah, that's not me. I'm, I'm going to do psychology. I worked in an inpatient, outpatient clinic in hospitals, you know, helping people in uh, urban areas, you know, with mental health. And, and that was something I was really passionate about. But there was this moment where I was in a coffee shop and I was talking to some friends uh, and they were doing some work around social media. And that's just, you know, that was me. That was, I loved it. I was always experimenting, doing things. I was even freelancing, doing, you know, helping people with their social media on the side. And I did, lo and behold, there was a program that like sort of embraced at Georgetown called uh, Culture Communication Technology. So I went and applied um, and met the admissions team there. I didn't have the grades at all. <laughs> so uh, I, I basically had to pitch myself in. And uh, I, I, at that time, uh, you know, this was 
you know, Napster was back in the day and stuff. You know, Spotify really wasn't a thing. And um, I was really great at procuring illegally music. And uh, we had tons of traffic on our website, so pirating. And I was able to show him. I mean, we got shut down, right? But we were one of the top 10 pirating websites uh, on the internet. It was a group of us. We never met in person. But, you know, I showed it to him and I was like, hey, I want to go legit. I know what I'm doing with the internet. Like, but I I, I need to go legit and I want to go through you guys. I want to put Georgetown on the side of my rocket ship. And he's like, all right, you know, let me get back to you. And so they offered me this chance. If I get B plus or higher average in the first quarter, I'm in, you know, first semester and I can stay in. And so I got straight A's almost the entire time I was there. And every single thing I did was around social media. This was like this moment of like, I'd never really was enthusiastic about anything, but this was my calling. And it still wasn't a career at that point. It was just like very early days of social. Um, but I, I was obsessed with technology. I was obsessed with it. And I was at a bar giving social media advice uh, to some of my friends during that time. And uh, one of the guys was like, you got to meet my cousin, man. They, he's doing some crazy stuff with social media and he, and he needs help. They're, they work for the government. And I was like, that sounds boring. No, thank you. And yeah. uh, <laughs> in, in the D.C. area, everyone works with government. And so yeah. I go, I have a conversation and uh, it, it, this is the company where like Zoomf came out of. It was called Metro Star Systems. It's an agency. It was basically helping the State Department understand the impact of a speech in areas of the Arab Spring before, during, and after on social media. And I was like, that's cool. I've, yeah. I want to be a part of that. And so that, you know, that was my route, you know, as far as how to get, how I got to Zoom per se. And then it's a, it's an entirely different story, Zoom, you know, uh, you know, from there. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I can go more detail in any of this, but it's, uh, it's always been, you know, w- once I was able to find, and it's hard. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the listeners here, are listening from different degrees in their lives, but it's like, once you find like, Oh, this is, this is it. This is what I'm on earth to do. Uh, mm-hmm. and that once that passion's lit, it's, it's unstoppable. Yeah. 100%. I couldn't agree more with that. There's a few things that you said that I just connected with immediately where, um, maybe initially when you were saying how, when you're in school, um, you had some interest, but you didn't really know what you're going to do for a career. And then social media is what really sparked your interest. And then after you kind of, we're in that new program, then it was easy breezing. You're getting, you know, the good grades again. And I kind of had a similar story where I was in accounting. I always thought I was going to be an accountant. I had okay grades, not great. I wasn't really passionate about it. I rather worked at the, uh, at the football stadium that was here in Ottawa. And then one day it just hit me. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to die one day. You know, shocker. Everyone is. But uh, I realized sure. I can't do that for 40 years. I can't just be on Excel all day long. I'm like, sports marketing is what I want to do. So I just dove into it. And then from there, it doesn't feel like I'm working any any single day. So I completely understand that. And then in terms of uh, when you're first starting off, do you mind if we dive that dive into that a bit more? Because um, looking back at the times of Napster, I remember I was on LimeWire and I think we bugged the computer, my sister and I. <laughs> so definitely uh, some interesting, yeah. yeah. So definitely some interesting times. Yeah. But do you mind maybe diving into that? Because I'm sure even... Uh, current students probably don't even know about those times and what it was like and kind of before digital and social was so big. Oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we're not, 
uh, a lot of the listeners are probably digital natives. You grew up, I mean, there's smartphones everywhere. And it's like, before mm -hmm. that, it's like, no, it was boring as shit. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's funny because, you know, like uh, I, I, you know, grew, growing up, I, you know, so, I'll, you know, I was born in the early 80s, 1983. And so it's like, you know, it's, you grow up, there's like, we saw the technology kind of evolve, but not as quickly as it is today. But, you know, there's like tapes and VHSs and they go, they go to CDs and DVDs. And so around the time that I'm like high school, CDs are, are the main thing and they're expensive. It's like 20 bucks mm -hmm. a CD. And it was like ridiculous. Napster had come out uh, around that time where you can just download music and play it on your computer, right? And have these MP3s and this entire ecosystem of pirating content was there. And it's just because there was, it's, you know, we wanted to, it, it, there was a demand for the content on computers, right? And just mm -hmm. an easier way to store more information and play it. And so it was not necessarily people are like, I want to go and do illegal stuff. It's just like, man, this is so difficult. It's just easier if I just do this to do, you know, and, uh, and you know, we're, we're high school kids. We didn't have a lot of money, but you know, just, uh, there was a forum, we met a lot of people on there and, you know, you just kind of connected with some people that you never really met. Uh, and I never to this day, maybe I, I met one of them in real life, but yeah, I mean, we were just basically, you, you rip a CD. So if you go buy one, you can, you know, basically scan it into your computer, yeah. ripping it. Right. And at, at that time, like people were always like burning CDs, right. And selling mm -hmm. them too, making mixtapes and stuff like that. And, and that's when albums were like a work of art, right. Yeah. You could, you could probably argue that, but it, it was, it was really focused on, you know, the entire thing. Nowadays, it's such a culture of, you know, singles and, yeah, you know, like you're creating these tracks, you want it to be the background of a TikTok. You know that you're 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 kind of creating with different. And it's very interesting. I think you know. I know we'll get more into you know what we do in sports business, but it's like I'm seeing sponsorship kind of echo the what's happened with music. But nowadays, you look at like Drake, right? I mean, he's got he's coming out with more albums. The, there's a hell of a lot of tracks. The tracks are shorter, um, and they've got these catchy beats, right? But there's not a lot of substance to all of these. And so they're just really optimizing it for streams, knowing that if the more streams they get, the more money they're going to make. So back in that day, it, was, it wasn't really like that in any capacity. But uh, and, and at some point, um, you know, the RCAA wanted to come and, and, and really start cracking down and stopping people from downloading and, and, and sharing music illegally. And so there was a, or a guy out there called Web Sheriff who was a pirater that converted and he just went and sh kind of shut down websites that were kind of doing it. So we were one of those websites that got shut down. And then I thought my future was going to be in like, okay, like understanding, you know, security and stuff like that around the internet. But it's just always that notion about sharing it, right? And like finding ways to get your mixtape like kind of out there. And back then I was obsessed with just like, how you word these messages can create so many different scenarios of engagement. So if you're, you know, I was like one of the first, you know, I was at Virginia Tech my freshman year, mm -hmm. as I said, and and that was one of the first schools that got access to Facebook in 2004. So like wow. it fascinated me that if you say something that people agreed with, you got a lot of likes, you got no, you know, engagement, no comments. Mm -hmm. 
if you said something that people didn't like, you get a lot of comments, you don't get a lot of likes. And it's like playing with like how to say things that would, you're not really trying to manipulate the audience, but you're trying to understand if, if it's the instrument and you're the maestro, how do you, how do you signal the different notes to get different reactions? And that entire, you know, engagement to me was fascinating. It's basically like decoding attention online, right? How do you, how do you understand what creates it? How do you understand how to sustain it? How do you understand what kills it? And so that was, you know, the very early days of just kind of understanding social. It was, it was nowhere near as noisy as it is today with all the different ways of sharing content, but it was uh, nevertheless very fascinating that you can, instead of like one-to-one with like a phone, right? You're, you're engaging with so many people at once. And at that time it was, you know, absolutely revolutionary. Yeah. That's very interesting in terms of what you're saying where, you know, for instance, when Facebook first started, usually what you're used to for the interaction was one-to-one, like you're saying for a phone, but once Facebook and all these different platforms start popping up, you're realizing if you say something or you word a certain way, it gets more engagement or likes. And I guess that's how you kind of transition to Zoom eventually, right? Where you guys were kind of understanding, you know, what did better, how to maybe, I wouldn't say sell. Yeah, I guess you could say sell. Sell certain um, messagings a, a bit better than others. And I guess that's how you guys brought it to, um, I don't know, monetizing social, right? So, so honestly, no, absolutely. Like, you know, that, and that's the funny thing. So yeah. it, with, you know, when, when we first started, right, we were doing things. So, okay. So I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. So, sure. so, you know, where we ended the story, we're, you know, come join this team. We're doing some really cool stuff with the state department. You know, we're right outside DC. And so it's like, Hey, this is, this is kind of cool. It's cool. But my plan was, Hey, as soon as grad school is done, F this, I'm going to go work for Instagram. You know, back then it wasn't owned by Facebook or or Twitter or, you know, that's where I'm headed. And I wanted to work for one of these social media companies because it just fascinated me. So we were doing things and they made some asks to us that were not doable, right? You know, we were using cloud at the time to rank people that were of influence and like, hey, you know, like, this this person doesn't really help there so it, it all came down to this one report uh and, and i hope you take no offenses but justin bieber was uh on one of their reports and this is going to the freaking state department right and yeah. so uh he mentioned the keywords and because he had a clout score clout uh for those that don't remember it you're lucky it was basically <laughs> a scoring from one to a hundred of how yeah. influential you are but it was more of like a popularity yeah. contest and so it, it really was just like how many followers you had. So Bieber was crushing it back in the day, right? And so he had a score of 100. He mentioned the keywords that matched on the report. And so by Cloud's way, he was, you know, number number one influencer. And so it's like, whoa, we're going to the State Department. We're going to send a report with Justin Bieber. One, he's a pop star, right? And he's a teenager yeah. at the time. Two, he's Canadian, right? And so, like, no, you know, this is a U.S. State Department report. So we're like, we got to get rid of him. Uh, Not in real life, just on a report. Yeah. So we we, we manually start getting rid of all the – anyone that wasn't associated to democracy, right? We were were Mm -hmm. diplomacy. And so we were just removing these people, and 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 it took us all night, and we submitted it. And 
they're like, wow, we love this. This is so cool. It's contextual, you know, like, can you guys do this for every report? And we're like, oh God, no. And so <laughs> we, we went to one of the developers that was working. This is an agency, right? So they, you know, Metrostar works with all these other uh, agencies, all the three letter ones. And this guy was just, you know, coasting. He had time off from one of the projects waiting for a new one. And we're like, hey, yeah, come, come, come help us out a little bit. You know, I'm, and we're trying to do this. And, you know, we sweet talk him into helping us uh, basically create a system where we could like filter out stuff on social mm-hmm. within an app. And uh, it made our lives incredibly easier and they would come back more with more ask and we kept doing stuff. And, you know, Ali, who's the CEO of Metrostar, uh, my partner and co-founder at Zoom, uh, along with Nick Cronin. So Ali gets wind of this, you know, he's CEO of Metrostar, who's this kid with uh, him and Nick, you know, who are these guys coming and making all this trouble? What what app? What what product do they have? He's like, we don't we don't we're not doing that. Like, so he's we we walk him through what we've kind of done here, and he's like, guys, this is great. This has a lot of potential, just not here. Like, this is not you know this 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 is not really going to take off with this audience. Yeah. Um, but I'll I'll tell you what. Stop using our developers on other projects. And what I'll do is I'm going to give you guys access to nights and weekends and you have access to this building at any time. And whoever wants to join you on this can join you. And uh, if you guys get some clients, we'll spin it off. You guys will be co-founders. And wow. that from that point on, we were hooked. We were like, oh my God, we got to do this. So we, we worked for free. We worked ridiculous hours. We were all single, you know, kids back then, like, yeah, yeah. you know, in our early 20s late twenties actually. Uh, but, and so, so like, you know, we're just, you know, it was intoxicating. Cause like, it's like you wanted to build something, you could see it done and built in front of you and people were loving it. And so the very early days of zoom, we were a fan engagement tool. We were, you know, creating something that basically, um, cause you know, the, one of the projects we did was really cool was with president Obama. He went to the university of Indonesia and they did a Q and a with students to get tweet him questions. So we built a, you know, Twitter wall, if you will. And, uh, so we did that and then we started adapting it and we were like, this is our product. This is what we're going to do. We're creating these sort of user generated content campaigns. And so for us, it was addicting to see like, how can we get people, you know, one of our first, you know, early clients in sports was uh, the Baltimore Orioles and in center field, you, you didn't say take a selfie, but if you yeah. posted all selfies, right. Every, you know, and whenever that screen came on and would take over, it was like after the third inning, uh, people would hop up like freaking meerkats and lemmings, just like <laughs> making selfies with each other. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and we were just like, wow, this, we are, this is entire group of strangers just like, you know, monkey see, monkey do effect. It's like, mm-hmm. we got to track this. Like, how are we impacting their overall engagement? And so we did that. And so we created an analytics engine behind it. And that took some time. I'm kind of trivializing it. But, yeah, you know, yeah. we created this analytics thing and, and we got more and more interest on the analytics that we were doing. The engagement stuff was necessary because, you know, one, it was being sold as a digital asset in partnerships. Two, it, it was a huge boost in social engagement by getting people to participate. So that there was, you know, there was a lot of focus on the assets and engagements and activations we were doing. But for us, it was just really fascinating to, to architect and, and drive and show that change. And what happened was, you know, from that, we were like, 
well, what kind of people are engaging with these types of activations, right? Like some people do, some people don't. And, and so we started creating this audience analytics platform. And basically what it does is it's built with privacy by design. Because the one thing we were like, hey, we're going to do this right. And, it, and this was from the beginning of Zoom that we were just like, you know, everything we're going to do is going to be our F you to every other company that we just hate <laughs> what they did. Right. Yeah. Like we, you know, we never charge for seats, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and even in our loading messages, we have like fun stuff. Like we want people to know we truly deeply, like we built this with love and, and, and we deeply care about the experience and all that. But so yeah. the audience analytics, we anonymize, right. You know, they hit our system. And, and at that time it was built by, by everyone doing a search, the people that return back the hashtag from these engagements, we would pull them into our database and we would look at um, their words in their bio, that we would look at who they followed and didn't follow. And then we would look at the, the certain things they posted from like several, like at, at the beginning was very uh simple, if you will, to, compared to how sophisticated it is now. But we would look at like the last 100 posts that they posted about. And, and basically, at that point, we didn't really know what we were doing with it. But in, in my Twitter bio, Chris, it says, rookie dad, lucky husband. As it says <laughs> yeah. dad, you can organize me by parents, right? You can look at an entire team and you can say, well, here's how all the dads engaged with the uh, with the campaign. Cool. Okay, moms. Okay, Another, or parents. Okay, that's different, right? And, and yeah. so we were like, okay, that's really cool. Because And a lot of this spurred from like an email that we got from the Washington Wizards where they're like, come bring your kid to the game. I'm like, I don't have a kid. I don't want to. <laughs> this is not yeah. like, why are they sending me this shit? You know, and now I do. And now that's very interesting to me. But, or I guess not right now, right? But uh, mm -hmm. but anyways, so we, we started creating this audience analytics platform. And, and now it's like a lot more sophisticated, but basically we, what, what we want to know is what is everything that Amir and Chris are into outside mm -hmm. of being a fan of this team, right? Yeah. And how do we best connect them and how do we resonate with them on those notions? So th those were the first you know, couple elements of what we've all created. And that was awesome. And then we had a situation with the Cowboys and they were like, guys, we don't want to use you for our marketing team. And we're like, then why are you talking to us? And they're yeah. like, we want to use you for our partnerships team. We're selling social media posts as part of our partnership deals. And, you know, from all the platforms that we use, like you guys are really good at tagging and kind of organizing. And, and we're like, no, get out of here. <laughs> like, that's not us. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, F you, we're the Cowboys. <laughs> You're going to do this. And we're like, <laughs> oh, okay, we'll try it. I mean, this is, yeah, you know, yeah. no, no venture gain, no venture loss. And, mm -hmm. and we're like, oh man, this is actually, this is really cool. This is saving them. Like, cause you know, we love like, you know, listening, we love watching, like, you know, setting up time and like seeing how they use the platform. And, and, and so we're like, we're saving them so much time. And, yeah. you know, it, it didn't click immediately, but they recommended us to MSG and MSG wanted to do this really cool project that I can't go into too many details with, but like basically mm -hmm. they wanted to organize all of their properties and understand what value are they, how are they impacting their audience uh, by the partners that they have on social? I, I know that's really, I, and I'll, I'll explain it a different way in a second, but then like, we didn't know they, they sent us a picture of like a whiteboard, right. As yeah. out of recommendation from the Cowboys. 
and they were like, can you guys do this? Right. It was just a, it was a bunch of chicken scratch on a whiteboard <laughs> and we're like, uh, okay, we can, we can do that. We can do that. No one can do that. That's illegal. Don't do that. <laughs> and that we can do. Right. And yeah. so the, uh, you know, we thought we were special. They, they sent it to like eight other people, but the thing was we were the only group that actually listened to what they really wanted and uh we were able to build it and then you know after that we're like guys like we've been holy shit like we've been building this in this entire way but really we inadvertently had built this like really great partnership tracking platform and light bulbs kind of clicked this is now like 2018-ish late 2018 and we're like we're we're gonna pivot we're gonna change what we're doing on the fan engagement side and we're going all in on partnerships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting to us because we've been offered sponsorship deals because people wanted to use, you know, sports, right? They don't have a lot of budgets on, on these teams. Yeah, yeah. We're all here out of passion, not to get like filthy rich, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, but basically they were like, you know, so they offer us sponsorship deals and, and it made us really question, what is our asset? What are our assets worth, right? What, yeah. you know, what is that value that we create? And so that was part of how we got to, you know, that point where you got like, what is this content really worth? And, and, you know, the psychology component of all of this, Chris, is like we, I argue social media is more psychology than it is technology. And understanding how to best connect with audiences is the complete art to the science of it. And so, you know, essentially what we've now created and, and between 2018 and 2019 was really our year of, of, of like refining what we were doing. And, you know, since then, man, we've been on a tear, you know, knock on wood, you know, we've had, you know, new business growth every quarter straight and we've been really fortunate. We had a lot of clients that stayed with us across the entire journey from what we were from the beginning to what we are now. No joke. We started when we first started, we were doing like $15 a month subscriptions, thinking like we were going to change the world and we'd have millions of customers. We haven't taken it away from them. We were like, hey, you guys can keep what you have. We added a shitload of new features, but you were there with us since the beginning. So as long as you don't churn, you can have it. Right. And so, like, we, we try to do right by them. But uh, you know, now it's just such a completely different thing from what it was. And and that's really just the journey, the route you take in business is just every day it's changing, especially this year in 2020. I mean, like yeah. every moment, um, you know, it's like, okay, no one has money. No one's coming to games. Well, then esports teams started reaching out to us, right? And we started building and, and optimizing our platform for esports. And we, we were very fortunate to have some really cool names, but it's like their needs are unique and different. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the entire journey at the end of the day is like, if you do good business and you have a good name and, you know, you, you do right by the customer, their word of mouth is, is, you know, paramount. And, and that's really what has transcended us throughout this entire path and each stop on the route that we've been going. It's, you know, we, we do right by them. And in sports, it's you, you do right by the fan. They're, they're the oxygen of this entire industry. And they're the thing that empowers everyone to do what they do. And when they can't come, right, you're seeing furloughing yeah. and stuff like that. It just shows you how important they are to the entire ecosystem. And, and uh, you know, what we try to do is other platforms focus on different things, whatever it might be. Ours is, you know, if we connect the brands with using the existing relationships that fans have to them, 
to these sports teams and we do right by them, the entire ecosystem will be right. And, you know, knock on wood, we're doing a really good job at that and hope to, you know, continue that. But um, sorry if I went off a little off off the side there, but, you know, we're really proud of what we built. Yeah. You said some amazing insight right there. And there's so many things I want to touch on, but uh, the things that I will touch on that kind of stand out for me is that, First off, the whole platform and the whole story and the route, amazing. But what you're saying for understanding your value for, let's say, a team or a brand to understand what your post is actually worth. I know that um, whether it's myself when I did that esports tournament back in the summer, I was looking for you know presenting sponsors, and you know there's a bunch of weird math that went about it, and then also negotiating and saying, hey, like, what real value am I providing? We can't, you don't really understand because there wasn't a tool that I was specifically using like Zoom. And then building on that, same thing happened at um, when I was at Athletico. They were like, hey, how much do you think this is worth? And it says, well, it really depends like how much yep. engagement and all the different things that, that come from it, right? Because, you know, sometimes we'd post something that we'd get a ton of likes, ton of views, incredible. But then we'd post something else that would just get maybe 10% of that. So it really depended on all these different factors that were kind of hard to measure, which seems like Zoom is before I even like get lost here is what you're saying, how it's understanding um, what let's say you and I are a fan of beyond that sports team is so valuable because for instance, what I'm trying to do now with a sports marketing agency and working with these athletes is that yes, you're a fan of what uh, I don't know, Jim Bob does as a quarterback on the field, but are you only a fan of him because of this? What interest do you have in line from this? And, that's what I, I want to do with this marketing agency is take these similar interests that Jim Bob may have. Let's say it's outdoors camping or something and creating a separate personal brand away from it and attaching those, those fans that are a fan of his product on the field, but as well as his passion, such as, you know, outdoors, hunting, camping, whatever. So it seems like your product does amazing ways of, you know, understanding the different value and metrics that, uh, you know, are present in sports. Um, yeah, yeah no, no, that's uh, you, you brought up some really great points there, Chris. And, and, you know, basically what we've done is whenever we go into any conversation, we ask customers, you know, what is the biggest obstacle? What is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? And, and yours, you know, what you mentioned certainly did come up. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we're going to be like, that's hey, we already do that. No problem, we got you. Sometimes yeah. we're going to be like, all right, that's that 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 challenge that 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 sounds like that's a problem for Jesus. You need help, but like no, <laughs> and and, it, and sometimes it's like no, that is something we want to run towards. And one mm-hmm. thing internally that we always say is like, what is that next obstacle? And and what we're trying to train our team is do not fear, do not like run away from these obstacles. Run towards them. Run towards the fire. Yeah. And so for us, it's always. You know, it's finding out it because you're you're gonna get no's, right? And if you're not getting no's, you're not trying hard enough. But it's like when you find what that no is, what is the reason why no? Why are you saying no? Oh, because this. Okay, then we align that to what other people are saying, and so we say, okay, that's our obstacle. That's what we got to do to get past that, right? Or how do we deliver more value to that? And so a lot of times people ask us, you know, what is the value of the content? How much should we be selling mm-hmm. it for? And so there is. You know, the, the connection that fans have with their team is stronger than most people's connections to their own religion. I mean, it, it is yeah. something that is passed down, 
you know, from family to family member to family member. Uh, it is something that connects you to where you're from and represents you. You're basically wearing a logo and it's like, this is my tribe. This, this is my people, right? And so you can connect with a complete stranger in a public setting just because they are rocking that same visual representation of something that you support. And so that's the way we look at it. And we say, okay, what are the other things people of this tribe care about? And how do we align to all of that? And then secondarily is attention is the oldest currency in the history of mankind. I mean, it's just, it's always, there's nothing more powerful than an audience. And when you have an audience and you have control of it, it's a community. And so what we try to understand is, you know, what are things that this community engages with, represents and supports? And we help empower people to understand how to best connect with those, uh, whether it's content strategy or research before you do a campaign, uh, or even looking at the two followers of two different entities. So mm-hmm. that trust that, you know, these teams have when they partner with somebody, they are basically saying, hey, you know, they're putting their arm around them and they're saying, hey, they're mm-hmm. with me. Are you familiar with like David Dobrik? Yeah, yeah. The YouTuber? Mm-hmm. Okay. So David Dobrik, guy is hilarious. Probably, you know, yeah. my generation was like into Jackass. Now you got the Vlog Squad. But basically, <laughs> uh, you know, like what what the hell is SeatGeek doing giving away more yeah. cars than a car dealership does per year through David Dobrik? Well, David does a really good job at engaging his audience. He brings his partner in as a character, right? As part of his vlog squad. Mm -hmm. He only does partner opportunities when it's a positive moment. So fans are positive, like they don't, they might not realize it, but they're happy every time they see a brand activate with David because he's doing something that is, that connects you to a positive moment that makes you smile. And in his case, he's given away cars. And he creates a lot of attention, and then he's got a promo code, which is David, yeah. right? So they can monitor and transact that. But here, here's the thing that's crazy. He's got like a little call to action. He's got like a couple phrases he says. I don't have mm-hmm. it memorized. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He, went to the, he went to the dentist in one of his vlogs, right? And he was all drugged up on painkillers. And uh, he was like, I wonder if I can do it. Oh, yeah. And so he yeah, – yeah. did you watch that one? Yeah, so I know, that. I know he, which one you're talking about. Yes. So Ian, uh, who's the, the care, you know, it's the influencer manager at SeatGeek, right? He got flooded with tweets with kids, right? Gen Z, uh, you know, sending him videos of themselves all hopped up from painkillers from going to the dentist. People are memorizing the commercial, right? That is how strong that connection is. And that is the same. It's the same thing that teams have. And so if they do it right, that trust translates and, and can be moved horizontally to their partner. And that is a value that is in, incredibly important. And, uh, you know, brands can skip the line of building trust by moving that trust horizontally through a sports partnership. And that is a cost that has a value. And so we look at attention as a currency, it's dynamic. We associate that to content that you create, whether it's branded or not, you know, there's a price to it that we mm-hmm. uh, allocate to each one. And then there's methods of brand recall that we apply. Uh, this is called discounting in the industry. And mm-hmm. we apply that to understand what is the value to the brand. So if the Nike swoosh exposure is in a, a video, it is only shown four times for a total of 30 seconds. 
then you wouldn't say the whole four minute video is, you know, if it wasn't branded by Nike, you wouldn't say the whole minute video is worth it to Nike, right? Their value is the increment of the entire video. So we do both, you know, we want to understand the social value and the branded value, but uh, you're absolutely right. We, 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 we understand what that, what that value is. We understand what that engagement is. We can turn that audience that engaged with that campaign into less of a performance-focused analytics into our audience dashboard that focuses on who these people are because those impressions and those engagements are not created equal. If you're telling your partner, hey, I'm connecting you with 500 people, they're like, who are these people? Are they grandmas? Yeah. Are, they, are, they, are they young guys? Like, who, who are these people? So yeah. we think it's – and that's where partnerships, I think, really lacks. They don't tell you – who actually is engaging with this. And that's what we try to do. We try to give you both because at the end of the day, it's people, right? And we want to connect these people and help make sure that they're getting in front of the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Those were two amazing examples. And just the whole David Dobrik thing, just touching on that. I actually watched a, a breakdown video of, I think it was a sponsorship videos because there's a whole, like you're saying, it almost becomes a, became a trend, right? Where, you know, kids were, I think it was a TikTok trend where they're recreating saying the exact lines. And if you notice, he always has the same like do, 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 do whatever music whenever he has an ad. It's a happy go lucky music. People almost get excited whenever they hear the almost the theme music for a sponsorship deal. Because wow. that means something exciting. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know. Yeah, that. yeah. So it's almost like a, it's like like you're saying it's more it's not even technology. It's psychology. And I don't remember this. I know I took a psych class earlier on in my in my academics, but. I think it's the Pavlov theory. I think that's what it is, where with the dog, yep, you would ring yep. a bell, give him a biscuit. And this is kind of what David's doing with the the do-do-do theme music. As soon as you hear that, something huge is going to happen next. So it gets people all amped up, excited, because that's what they're expecting just from hearing the, the music play. And then that just creates the the activation that's that much more valuable for someone like SeatGeek, because people are almost excited for the commercial, right? It's like the Super Bowl, where people are looking forward yep. to it. They want to know what's going to happen next. And it's just, um, it's great for the companies. And just the whole thing that you're saying, like almost like wrapping your arm or like sports teams wrapping their arms around, you know, these sponsorship deals and pushing them out saying, Hey, like we trust them and you are our followers. You should get this too. That I couldn't agree with that anymore. And that's what I was trying to explain to some, some athletes I was speaking to that. um, How do you say this? Rather than just, People, uh, how do you say this? So some athletes, they they have a platform, right? Because they have a great following. It's like a religion, as you said. Mm -hmm. But because they have this following and brands are throwing money at them, they're just like, hey, like I'm just going to take the money and run away with the quote-unquote bag. But it almost hurts them when yep. they start just taking any bag because then let's go back to the Jim Bob quarterback example. If Jim Bob's a quarterback and his brand is aligned with being a football player, being an outdoorsman, but then he takes a a deal that has like a one-off deal that has to do with I don't know pink ponies. His audience is like, well, uh, your brand isn't authentic; it's not as genuine anymore because um, that that doesn't align with who we are, right? And our interests. Yep. So that's what I was trying to explain to these athletes. Where that's why it's so important to almost strategize, understand who your audience is, which is exactly what zoom does from what i understand and then you can understand how to build out your brand from there and which uh deals are um yeah which deals are even partners to work with to, to make sure 
what your messaging is is that much more valuable rather than just hey uh, this company paid me to do this buy it exactly chris i mean that alignment is critical and, and uh you know i'm a big fan of jim bob i have got his jersey but like let's let's look at dak prescott as an example yeah. right because he he stood out there and he spoke about mental health right and so yeah. there's ways that you can look at it right like how do you categorize mental health right there's ways you can look at social media to to understand how much of his audience cares about it how much of his audience follows headspace how much of his audience follows the Calm app and engages with those apps, right? Uh, you know, they use phrase like Bell Let's Talk, hashtag campaign, right? That that Bell is a brand that he leverages. And so, so by looking at those elements and looking at how much of a percentage of his audience does that, then that might justify like, hey, if I'm a app that wants to align with the audience that cares about mental health and well-being, maybe Dak Prescott would be a, a great alignment for me to work with just as much as I am for him to represent. And so that's what you're saying is perfect, right? But then if Call of Duty comes and gets Dak Prescott, right? And I'm not saying Call of Duty is anti, but I mean, there's like guns and violence. Maybe maybe it's something else. Like, you know, I don't know what it might be, but that might not, you're you're absolutely right. It might not jive very well with his audience. And if you take every deal, you're a mercenary, right? You're not an influencer. You're, you're, You're just basically, you'll take money from anyone and say anything. It's like, you know, it's like uh, you're 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 representing, uh, you know, cheeseburgers and then the next day you're representing vegetarians. And so yeah. audiences tune out. And, and w- one thing, you know, we kind of talk about is the, you know, this digital asset economy. And so like back in my day when we were pirating music, right, it was illegal and, you know, like, you know, kind of sharing that stuff. But like there wasn't social media wasn't a thing that like, you know, was influenced. It was influencing, but like. It wasn't an art around it. It wasn't organized. There was no standardization, and and you could and then people started realizing, hey, this is impactful. You can start paying people to to, to represent things, and and so it's been evolving. And now you look at sports teams and you look at you know athletes, right? On the sports team side, I mean, these are their digital teams are agencies that are specialized in engaging with their fans there. They want to take your brand. I will tell you exactly how to engage with our audience. And here's the campaign that we're going to do it. Same with the marketing team around an athlete. So it's like it, it, it is so established now that now it's not just people doing it or we went from people sharing pictures of their lunch just because they generally loved it to, to food accounts, right. That get free food and get paid to come to restaurants. But now these organizations, these giant, you know, organizations are media companies are essentially trading and creating digital assets as a way to engage audiences. And so the, the way I look at sports today is they need to stop thinking like event companies, right? And, and really embrace themselves as media companies and the content that they create, right? I mean, what Marquez Brownlee or David Dobrik creates on YouTube is just as valuable as Netflix you know, trying to get Chappelle on their content, right? Yeah. So it's like there's just so many ways of uh, looking at it. But I think original content is something that is so fought for. They're streaming wars right now. And that alignment and making sure that everything works is uh, an investment to making better content and better money and, and, and wealth. Um, so I, I'm right there with you, Chris. I, I think it's critical, uh, no matter who you are, right? You and me, anyone can can get onto this platform or stage and create content. 
if you're consistent and you, you create value for your audience, if the, there has to be a transaction, right? People watch these athletes because they're amazed by them, they're engaged by them, they and they're entertained by them, you know. So like you have anyone can do it, but you know, athletes have that ability. They they they're physically there. They're able to do that. And uh, once you have that attention, some people can keep it right and sustain it. If you don't, it's called 15 seconds of fame because most people don't know what to do when they get it. That's why there's entire companies and teams built on helping you sustain it and making sure you're not a mercenary. So it, it was a really good point by you. Yeah, thank you. And I love having conversations like this. And it is so insightful and love it. I like. I would have this conversation for hours on end. But Thank you so much for sharing your out. But before we go away, I would like to maybe ask you some questions I ask every guest at the end. And it'd be if you had the opportunity sure. to go back in time, speak to a younger version of yourself, or even speak to the audience of students or whoever's listening, or even myself, what type of advice would you give? Skip 2020. No, um, it's, uh, it's you know, I, I guess what I would say is, you know, embrace failure. It, 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 it's hard, man. I mean, it, it, people get so, you know, my ego was fragile when I was younger, right? You know, I can't yeah. fail. I can't be an embarrassment. But like once you start losing that stigma and, and you're focused, you know, it's, it's when I found that moment, right, that I'm like social media is what I want and what I want to do with my life. It was less mm-hmm. about failing and succeeding and more about whatever it takes to achieve my dream, Right. And so when you get in that mentality, what I tell a younger version of myself or the next you know, kid that's out there that is trying to find that, that opportunity for them is you've got to be relentless and you've got to be willing to fail. But there is no shortcuts. No one is going to give it to you. You have to take it. You have to go after it. And discipline is one of the hardest things. And discipline gets easier when you're aligned to what you want. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about identifying what that is and going after it and being relentless and taking your ego and just being ready to fail. Yeah, that's, that's some amazing advice. And I love how you're using the words uh, be relentless and like go after the dream is like just go after it and like push, push and push. Because that's exactly how I kind of came up with the name for, I don't think I announced it yet, but by the time this episode comes out, my marketing agency is going to be called a white whale marketing. And the definition of a white whale is relentlessly and obsessively chasing something that's difficult uh, to achieve, which is what the sports marketing agency is to me. So that's why I wanted to call it that. And I think that's just a great way to, to put it and just almost uh, confirms that I'm doing something I love and pushing towards that. So I think that's some great advice. This episode, I absolutely loved it. Love this dialogue. I know I'm going to listen to this episode maybe three times, just kind of break things down more and add to my notes. But unless there's anything else you'd like to add, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's a it's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. If uh, anyone wants to chat, if I can help in any way, uh, you know, at Zanozi, Z-O-N-O-Z is the handle. And then if, uh, if any of this resonates to anyone in, in the sports and marketing world, it's uh, at Zoomph, at Z-O-O-M-P-H. And looking forward to the White Whale Marketing, man. I love that name. I love that story. And I know you're just going to be absolutely relentless and uh, successful as a result of it. Uh, you've got a fan from day one, and that's me. But you know, thanks for having me and looking forward to chatting with you more. That concludes the interview with Amir. Um, I just want to take the time to thank him again for you know coming on the podcast, 
um, answering some text messages, even having some calls with me as uh, is very much appreciated. And that's what this whole podcast is about, right? Whether it's myself sitting down and having these interviews with these guests and getting connected with them and you know hearing these insights, but also just what you're able to take away from each episode, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's whoever's listening, as there's some amazing things that you can add to your route, to your toolbox, whatever, that you wouldn't be able to unless you have these dialogues or hear these dialogues because they're insights, advice, things that we wouldn't be able to know unless you lived it. And that's why having these different guests each and every week you know, is, a, is an amazing opportunity for, for all of us listening and uh, for even me to be a part of. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I want to thank everyone again for uh, listening and as well, uh, Amir and past guests for, for coming on. With that, I'll see you guys next week. And uh, don't forget to follow us at Throughout Sports. Have a good one. Thank you.